I'm David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. This is Renovation Made Right. considering a remodeling project now or sometime in the future, Renovation Made Right will be your single source to help guide you through getting the project you want and an experience that you'll enjoy. Renovation Made Right will tackle topics that range from how to select the right project and contractor to tips on surviving the remodeling process to best practices for kitchen or bath design. We have over 30 years of experience in the industry and are owners of the well-established design-build remodeling company, Black Dog Builders, in Salem and Nashua, New Hampshire. We're sitting down with industry professionals and past clients to tap into their experiences and insights so we can equip you with the tools you need to make your own project a success. So welcome back again to Renovation Made Right. I'm Brenda Bryan. Hi, I'm David Bryan. And today we're going to be talking about finding your service providers, how to go about um, locating them, talking to them, checking their references, all that kind of good stuff to make sure that you're in safe and good hands. Yeah, so in previous shows, we've given you some pointers about um, how to define the project you want and then maybe what types of companies you want to work with. But that's a very different process from now going out into the wild marketplace and trying to find somebody you can Woo-hoo. you can be happy with and who you feel like you can trust. Right, right. Because trust is really paramount to everything else. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, so then we, you know, where do you go about? Let's just start with the basics about. Uh, and this, by the way, uh, so previously we talked about the idea of hiring a designer or a design build company or whatever. So what we're going to talk about today um, are tips and and suggestions that you can use whether you're actually in the search for a designer or whether you're in search for a contractor or a design build company. Right, right. Yeah, it's the same sort of background regardless of right. the, the service provider you're looking for. Right. So when we're thinking about uh, you know, who we're going to hire, where we're going to find them, uh, where should we start? Well, the internet, of course. <laughs> so interesting you say that, right? So, so I would actually say the internet today is a big piece of the puzzle. Right. Right. Um, but... First and foremost, if we we're going to prioritize where we think we want to start looking for folks, um, I'd actually start in my own backyard. Yes. Right? I was kidding about the internet. I totally get that. Well, yeah. no, but, but, but the reality is um, everyone's using it. Some mm-hmm. folks are using them to find their service providers. Mm-hmm. Some folks are using it to vet their service providers. Mm-hmm. And so it is a piece of the puzzle, right? And it, it is. Uh, you know, the problem that you run into, I think, when you're first, your first bet is to get on the internet is you find the people who market the best not necessarily the people who do the best work. And and that's, you know, that's one part of the puzzle. And, and I'm not saying that there's not great professional companies who market themselves well and will show up on an internet search, but you're also losing out on maybe some really good people that aren't as good at marketing themselves, but also do really good work. That's right. And, and so, so, although I will tell you that I feel like by and large, the companies that have got their act together enough to start saying, oh, we need to, we need to market our company. We just, it's not, it's not enough that we get to be good craftspeople. Right. I, I, you know, those folks have actually distinguished themselves and separated themselves. And even for a company to have enough uh, maturity to say, I need to allocate a certain amount of our budget mm-hmm. to marketing, mm-hmm. is, that's a mature professional choice. Right. right. And so they're already separating themselves a little bit in the marketplace just by saying, just by that alone. Right. right? No different than, uh, and we'll get into some other areas, but no different than a company who decides to belong to a professional association. Right. Right. So that takes money and, and it's money you could otherwise put in your pocket. So it takes a different level of maturity and leadership to say, okay, we're going to take a, another piece of our budget and allocate that to education and learning and professional associations. That right? that is true, but I keep in mind that we are 
boomers. We're at the tail end of the boomers, but we're still the okay boomer generation. And so I do know that there's a lot of younger people coming into business. Maybe they just started a business and they are really young. You know, they're in their early 20s and they think the first thing they need to do is to be found on the internet because that's their mindset. So my point is that you can find people on the internet who have made that their priority to be found, but don't necessarily have have the underpinnings. Yeah. Yep, no, I agree. So, I totally agree. So it's just it's buyer beware, right? Caveat mTOR. So you want to just make sure that you're no matter which route you go, that you're that you're dotting your eyes and crossing your t's. Right. And so, not that I intended on getting onto the internet right away, but while we're here, let's also talk about um, that today. There is a huge business on the internet of selling leads, right? Mm-hmm. So we we talk about leads. Uh, if you're a if you're a service provider, you're a contractor, you're any business, right? Uh, and you need to sell your services. What makes that click is the leads that come into your business, right? Mm-hmm. And so so today there are a large number of companies in the marketplace that um, charge for your information. So you do a Google search and you're searching for kitchen renovation in your local market. Kitchen renovation plus your town name. Um, And a bunch of companies pop up. Some might be local providers, but many of them will be national lead aggregators. We we call lead aggregators, right? So uh, those are companies who are kind of teasing you a little bit. Like they might have data online about the cost of an average kitchen remodel. And you might go, oh, that's kind of cool. I'll click on that and I'll learn about the cost of an average kitchen remodel, right? Right. But that's all a precursor for them to try to help you find local service providers, right? right? So then they're quite, then they're going to ask you to fill out an online form about your project, about your budget, about whatever. And, and once you press send, they now have captured that information. And this is, by the way, this is free to you, but they've captured your information. And now they're going to push that out to their network of contractors that have said, I want leads. Right. right. And I'm willing to pay for them. And I'm willing to pay for them. And in many cases, willing to pay a large amount of money, mm-hmm. right, uh, for just the right to get your contact info, mm-hmm. right? And then the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to then start to get solicited by uh, by all those companies who have paid for your information. Yeah. And this shouldn't be anything new. I mean, there's, there's lots of... Uh, every time I fill out an online form, and then all of a sudden I'm just inundated with stuff, right? right? So right. you know, I just did it for healthcare, right. and and it was ridiculous getting phone calls off the hook. Yep. So just keep that in mind that that's yeah. that's their job. And it's not a bad thing. And and it, once again, just just by virtue of the fact that the company has made the choice to say, I want to capture more leads, that means they're trying to grow their business, and that means they're trying that they're they're probably thinking about their company as a company, not just a hobby. Right. Um, and they're probably a little more legitimate and. Most of the online services that are lead aggregators are pulling together leads and selling them uh, have done some stuff to vet companies. Right. Right. Now, that's the big deal, right? Uh, It is important that you as a consumer don't believe that just because you went online, you did some research, you you submitted your information, and you get started getting called by companies. You like you'll be shocked. It dep- if you're if you're looking for something that's like what we call a specialty company, like especially a modeler, like roofing, siding, windows, uh, you could click the send button on your form, and literally within less than sixty seconds, you could be getting phone calls yeah. 
especially incredible. especially for those very competitive businesses, like mm -hmm. like people that want to sell you replacement windows or people that want to put a roof on your house, you could get calls almost immediately mm -hmm. uh, by people who want to book an appointment to come see your project and talk to you and try to sell you a project. Right? <laughs> it's yeah. overwhelming. And, and on one level, you think, okay, that's great. I got somebody to return my call because mm -hmm. another frustration in our business is people don't return calls. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. You you're calling a contractor and you're thinking that you might have a significant project of seventy five thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars. And uh, you place a call, you you submit an inquiry, crickets, and it's yeah, right, nothing, yeah. right, and 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 this, by the way, is the part of the process where they're supposed to be impressing you, right, right. This is the, <laughs> I like to think of it as the dating process, right, right. So uh, if you ever want a second date, you better be pretty proactive on the first date, right, right. That's not unfortunately often the case in our business. So consequently. Uh, like you said, I think your, your words, buy, uh, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware, is really good advice. Um, and and uh, and even, you know, the internet is is by no means uh, a, a solve all problem, right? right? So I'm still. It's a great tool, but caveat emptor. Right, and so I'm still a big fan of of pressing the flesh and of referrals based on people you know in your marketplace, mm -hmm. right? So the odds are very good that that you know someone, the, the folks you hang out with and your neighbors are probably socioeconomically very similar to you, mm -hmm. right? So probably similar education background, maybe similar income, whatever it might be. And so if you've decided on a project and you know that five houses down, uh, the Smiths had a project done and uh, they were happy with the outcome, uh, if the Smiths can refer that contractor to you, that's a really good starting point, right? Right, uh, but but more than that, though, ask the Smiths some of those questions that you think are important questions. Like what what kind of questions? We're gonna we're gonna get to the vetting of the contractor in a minute, but once you get the referral, it's not enough just to get the referral. You'd like to know a little more about it and take the opportunity that if the person is referring you to ask them some questions. What would you think we might want to ask? You know, were these people responsive? You know, what happened when there was a mistake on the job? Right. Not, you know, not, not was there. Right, right. What There there always is. So what what happened? How did it go? Right, exactly. You know, and, and you know, simple questions. And we'll, we'll circle back to this. But, like, uh, how did I feel? How did you feel while they were working at my house? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Did you feel safe with these people in right. your home? You know, were they were they respectful right. of of your things and the, your kids and your pets? And, yeah. Right. So we're jumping ahead a little bit. But let's circle back to other sources. So we talked about the Internet a little bit. That's obviously a big deal. We're going to circle back to that under more about the research mode once you find people you think you like, right? right? I want to vet the hell out of those people. Mm -hmm. But there's still other, there's still lots of other options. So referrals are great. Even just job signs in your marketplace mm -hmm. are helpful, right? Because if you keep seeing the same job signs popping up, maybe you don't know someone who's used that company, but the fact that they continue to work in your market mm -hmm. is a testament. Right. Right. They're still getting work. Exactly. People are still hiring them, so, you know. Right. And they're solvent, right. hopefully. Exactly. I mean, there's other ways to check that, but they're still out there. Right. Another thing in most towns that you can do is you can actually go to the building department, and the building permits are actually public record. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? I did know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're public records. So you can go in, and you can look and see uh, over the last year uh, what contractors' names keep on popping up. Mm -hmm. Or in the last three years. You can, mm -hmm. you can just scan through and... Make a make a list of the companies you see over and over again, doing mm -hmm. a bunch of work. Right now, you also may even be able to ask your building inspector, who is not going to or not supposed to advocate for any particular company, but obviously the building inspectors are the front line of defense. They're the ones that are seeing and inspecting and approving or mm -hmm. not approving. Right. 
uh, the work that's happening in your community. Right. Right. So they they can't actually endorse any one company, but. But if you said, okay, I'm looking at these five companies, is there anything I should know? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, they might be willing to tip their, their hand a little bit and give you some inside information. Right. And if they don't, I understand that too, and, and, and that's fine. But you're you're a little more informed than you were when you started, right? So so uh, finding local finding service providers that way is uh, is another great way to go. Then sort of the next cut, um, I like to you you can tell if, if the companies you're thinking about um, are professional expert companies, they're going to be associated in many cases with a trade organization. Mm-hmm. So what are those trade organizations, right? So if you're an architect, it might be the AIA, right? Mm-hmm. Architects Institute of America. If you're a contractor, there's a couple of different big national organizations. Uh, the NAHB, which stands for National Association of Home Builders, that's one organization. It's primarily new construction, so you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah, well, and then they have a council mm-hmm. called the Remodelers Council. So mm-hmm. the, the NAHB has a subsection that is for remodeling contractors called the Remodelers Council. That's got a big membership to it. Yep. Th- those, those organizations all have membership lists that you can access. They're online, yep. and you can find companies in your marketplace. NARI. Uh, NARI, National Association of the Remodeling Industry. That's a very, very big industry, a very big organization. Uh, very similar to the Remodelers Council, but right. w- but in Nary's case, it's remodeler specific, right? And uh, and anybody that's there is, is a member has once again distinguished themselves. And in most cases, Nary has a really good uh, educational focus, as the Remodelers Council does as well. But they have regular events where contractors get together to attend seminars, to learn, to uh, to to network and share information. Mm-hmm. So. The people that belong to that organization, the people that participate, are already a cut above, right? right? Um, so their basic membership list is a good place to start as well. NKBA. NK, yeah, National Kitchen and Bath yeah, Association. Association. Exactly the same thing. Um, and that's, once again, a very educationally based uh, organization that mm-hmm. is helping to teach best practices and uh, and talk about trends and design mm-hmm. and, and so forth. And they offer certifications. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's another thing, actually, while we're on that, is um, while you're looking for companies, all those organizations we just talked about offer different kinds of certifications. Um, That's another cut where you can look at it and say, okay, um, has my contractor or the people that I'm talking about, have they invested the time, energy, and money to educate themselves and Mm -hmm. get any any of these certifications, right? right? Um, And so that typically takes the form of something after their name, right? Uh, Jim Smith... Uh, you know, uh, CKD or Jim mm-hmm. Smith uh, CGR. So CKD is Certified Kitchen Designer. Uh, CGR is Certified Graduate Remodeler. Uh, there, there's even certification classes. Nary offers them for for lead carpenters, right. and, and there's there's lots and lots of them. But what those are indicative of to me is somebody who said, you know, it's important for me to better myself and important for me to continue to learn. So I'm going to take the time and energy to do that. Right. Because there's there's new stuff all the time. Right. There's new there's new practices. There's new products. There's new um, you know. So you have to stay on top of it. Right. It's, it's just continuing education. Exactly. So, another thing that I really like, unfortunately though, I think in our marketplace, but this is I know this is not true nationwide. In some places, it's really they're thriving, but is uh, is home shows mm-hmm. right? Uh, home shows I kind of refer to as a target rich environment, mm-hmm. right? So you as a homeowner can get in there, and in a short period of time talk to, interview, meet with lots of different companies, right? right? And you can start to get a feeling, don't, you know, don't, uh, you don't feel pressed to have to make appointments with those folks, but you can start to get a feeling of the makeup of the marketplace, Mm -hmm. right? And who you're dealing with. And more importantly than that, you can start to get a feeling for what are you looking for in a company? Because that's the big deal. Until you've defined 
what you're looking for and until mm-hmm. you know who you want to work with how do you you know right and sometimes just going to a home show you know you're going to see some new products that you hadn't thought about it's just an ability to walk around in a low pressure environment and kick some tires exactly you know and it's not you don't have to you don't have to be pressured into like dave said making an appointment but you can just have conversations with people and say this is what i'm thinking about i don't i don't know when i'm going to be ready right Um, what do you recommend so it's a great place to just gather information and you're going to you're going to find very um specific groups of companies that do certain things and that don't do certain things. So as you know from previous shows that we're big fans of the idea of design build. You may have a conversation with a contractor who says to you, okay, so we'll build anything you want. You just need to bring us a plan. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine, right? Yep. If you if you go down that road, maybe that's the contractor you partner up with as your as your builder who's going to work with your designer and, and help you on budgeting and so forth. Uh, and the fact that they don't do in-house design, that's not a slight um, but it's something you are thinking about. And you can, one of the boxes you're going to check off as you're thinking about who do I want to work with and how do I want to find these people, right? right, right. So um, so <coughs> you find, once you, uh, you know, once you begin the process, uh, you get those referrals from neighbors, you get, you, you start, uh, you know, getting a short list together of companies that you mm-hmm. want to reach out to. And then I think actually the internet is the ideal place to do some preliminary vetting, right? Yeah. Um, and do some searches. Now let's talk about that a little bit on, on searches, right? And on uh, on the num- like the ratings that companies have, and right? Yelp so, and yeah, right. exactly, right? So uh, so there's there are websites out there, uh, even you know just on Google that offer the number of stars and so forth. Different websites in my mind have very different levels of credibility, right? Right. Um, and so even there's, there's websites out there like House. House is actually another good mm-hmm. good source. So I like I like some of the companies, some of the websites that um, that do a better job at, at highlighting the contractors up front. You can see who they are. You can like in House's case, you can look at projects the companies have done and right. get better feedback. And you're not just getting you know, three or four companies buying your information, and you don't have any, any idea who these companies are beforehand. You're right. kind of saying, oh, I like this, I like that, and, mm-hmm. I, and I want to talk to those folks, right? So companies like that, or, or websites like that, can be really, really helpful. House, by the way, is H-O-U-Z-Z. Thank you for saying com. that. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and uh, and they're a great site. And they're also really great visually to help you uh, convey information to people, right. right? So we talked about that, I think, in a previous show. Mm-hmm. Um, so... But but I think you need to be careful about where you go to vet your companies you're thinking about because so like the Better Business Bureau is great. I like the Better Business Bureau. Mm-hmm. It does not have a horse in the race, right? The Better Business Bureau is all about just trying to report factual information, mm-hmm. uh, and it does a better job at vetting stuff. So if there's a consumer complaint, by the way, if a cons- if a contractor has a consumer complaint with the Better Business Bureau. That is not automatically a strike against them, right? Right. You have to you have to be careful, right? Because if the contractor had a complaint uh, and they then attempted to satisfy the complaint, that's what I care about. Mm-hmm. I care about the fact that there was something that didn't go well and the contractor stepped up. If the contractor had multiple complaints and no response whatsoever, that's a big right? strike. That's a big problem, right. right? So the Better Business Bureau is a really good clearinghouse for that, and it's a good place for homeowners to go if they are disgruntled or upset with somebody. Right. And that goes into the record of that company. Right. And the, and the resolution or lack of resolution about that issue goes into the record about the company. Right. right? So you can see what's going on. Well, and they're also looking at only um, uh, instances where somebody was actually doing business with a company as opposed to sometimes on the Internet somebody 
makes one phone call, is not happy with the phone call that they made, and then trashes somebody online. And, you know, they never were doing business. Right. This was, so never, th- this was never a business relationship. It was just somebody with an axe to grind for some perceived slight. So that is a perfect example. Like, so where I see that happen a lot is on Yelp. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I th- and, and I have actually looked at Yelp before, you know, thinking about going to a restaurant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems to be a magnet for more negativity, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll give, you, I'll give you an example that happened to our company. Um, we had uh, we had somebody get on our website. This was years ago, mm-hmm. years ago. Somebody got on our website. They clicked on a link on the website, and the link was a broken link. So it didn't take them to where they wanted to go. And so we legitimately had an error on the site, mm-hmm. which we shouldn't have had. Our, mm-hmm. site, our site should have been functioning properly, but we didn't. It was it was a glitch. Um, and that person got on Yelp, gave us a one star review, and made some sort of a, a disparaging comment about the fact that our website was broken. Uh, and it was only one link, but right. regardless, they got on did that. Uh, that one star review and that negative comment is still there today. Right. And I'll bet you that went on there seven years ago. Right. Right. Uh, and, there's and there's nothing. And there's nobody reviewing that, saying, right. okay, is this is this a legitimate complaint of, of that we should be concerned about, or is right. this just somebody who's in a bad mood that day and felt like taking the time? To right. Do but something. having never done business, so when you're right. when you are look when you're doing the research and you found your your one, two, three, four companies that you're thinking about talking to, mm-hmm. uh, then and you dig deeper, be careful, right? And so I want to make sure the, re- the reviews that I'm talking to or thinking about uh, for a given company are valid and, and reviews right. of people that have actually done work with the companies. Right. That's a big, big deal. Right? And that's and that's why we say, you know, check out the Better Business Bureau because they're actually having conversations. If there's a complaint made, they follow right. up with the company, they follow up with the consumer, right. and they really figure out, you know, is this a valid thing that needs to be addressed or is this, is this frivolous? Right. And so you get a much better sense of... of um, the reality of the situation. Right. Now, take it a step further, right? Any company working in the marketplace is, let's say they're a good company trying to do the right thing all the time. Uh, you're still occasionally going to end up working for a client mm-hmm. who you just can't make happy, mm-hmm. right? And so a complaint does show up, and that's fine. What I do care about is further, when I'm looking at other websites for um, feedback from consumers, I want to make sure that the company that got the feedback, good or bad, responded to it. Mm -hmm. So if I look on a website, if I look at the Better Business Bureau and it's unresolved, that's a problem, we talked about that. Mm -hmm. If I look on Yelp and there's a complaint on Yelp and there's no response from the client, I'm sorry, from From the the business, right? right. No Mm -hmm. response from the company. That speaks to me a lot, Mm -hmm. right? That's the homeowner's like, yeah, whatever. Or I'm sorry, the the business owner's like, yeah, whatever, I don't care, right? right? Um, And so I think it's imperative that if you see any negative conversations you also should be expecting to see some response from the business mm-hmm. saying, you know, we've done everything we thought we could do or whatever it might be. But right. hopefully you're, you're finding a professional response, taking ownership of the situation or whatever it might, you know, whatever situation you have. So that's a big piece of it as well. So be careful uh, that you don't just kind of step into um, the, the review process uh, on, online without thinking about some of those things. Right. Right, so that's a big, big part of it. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, that, so that's a bunch of different ways you can try to find uh, service providers in your marketplace, whether uh, whether local, uh, you know, presence in your area, all those different. Uh, are there any others that we're not that um, we're not thinking about or that we didn't talk about that uh, that we recommend for folks to think of when they're mm-hmm. looking for those companies? Um. <laughs> I think those are the big yeah, ones. Yeah, those, those are probably the yeah. bulk of the areas. Now, so now, 
What happens when you've got your list? You got your short list, right? Yeah. And, and what's what's a reasonable number of companies for you to be thinking about talking to on a project? I'd say no more than five. And I only say that because how much time do you really have? Right. You right. know, I, yeah. honestly. And I would say five is probably at the upper end. Yeah. Right. Because here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Th- this I think is is the biggest biggest part of the process mm-hmm. is. Um, I don't suggest that you ask five companies to actively engage in your projects, mm-hmm. right? I would suggest, and if it's if it's five, that's I would say this at the outer end. Three feels good to me, unless you go through the first three and you feel like, okay, I didn't connect with anybody. Right. Then you refill the list and you right. start again, right? Which is, by the way, that's a very legitimate possible outcome. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you connected. You don't feel like they fit. But, but the first thing I would say is um, you want to... Um, Think about this as if you were offering a job to someone, not a project, right. but a job to someone, right? right? And what's the first thing you're going to do when you uh, w- when you've got a job that you want to fill? Right, you interview them and you see if right. there's a, if there's a connection, if you're on the right. same page. Can you work with this person? Does it feel right. comfortable? Right, you interview, right? right. And, and so I actually believe that you interview them initially on the phone, mm-hmm. right? Before I'm going to invite somebody to my home mm-hmm. to spend time talking about uh, my project, I'm going to spend some time on the phone to understand. And by the way, I want the, that company to do the exact same thing. It should be a two-way street. Right. That company is vetting me just as much as I'm vetting them, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want a company who takes any job they can get. You want a company who says, this is in our wheelhouse. I know we're really good at this kind of work. And we're really not good at that kind of work, so we're not a fit for everybody. Right. Right. Like in our world, we typically don't do new construction. Mm-hmm. And we don't do much commercial work. We do commercial work for the occasional past client who's a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Right. But when we're having a conversation with somebody, if they're asking for competitive bid commercial work, we say thank you, but no thank you. So that's part of that first interview. Right. On the phone. Right. And we can decline that work, save ourselves time, energy, and money, and save our clients time, energy, and money, mm-hmm. rather than, than just trot out to the house and uh, right. or, or the project and and, uh, and begin a conversation that's fruitless. Exactly. Right? So yeah, because we have limited time too. Exactly. Just, just like you do. Exactly. Right. So we get past the phone screening, uh, and uh, and then we get on to the face to face interview, and and here's where I feel like we need to spend time, not talking as much about the project. In fact. If we, if we didn't even talk about the project, that would be great, right? <laughs> it sounds crazy, right? Yeah. But, but, uh, but I would much rather have a client call us out to a home and spend time talking about how we do business yeah. and what they can expect. So, tell me, so if I'm in front of a client and a client says to me, tell me what it's like to work with your company. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me uh, why you feel like you're a good match. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what kind of processes or systems you use to build your projects, I would love that. As, as <laughs> you would be overjoyed. I, uh, well, Do a little I, jig. As would any one of our designers. Right. Anybody who's going to meet with our clients, if a client actually took the time to ask those questions right. and and make us realize that they value, they deeply value who they're going to have working with them, right. that is a gift. Right. Right. Um, and so, so, so some of the things, and, and just if you're taking notes now, this is a good time to do it. Um, so some of the things that you want to think about is um, 
to ask those questions. What kind of lead time do you have going right. into a new project? You know, are you going to be able to build for me in three months, or is it going to be six months, or is it going to be nine months? Or, you know? or is it tomorrow? Right. And, or, and right. if it's tomorrow, what does it make you think? Right. Exactly. If it's tomorrow, they, they obviously don't have enough in the pipeline. So what are they doing wrong? Right. right. And that's yeah. that's not always the case sometimes. Correct. Like we've even had, um, you know, projects drop out at the last minute. There are financing glitches or, you know, some, or, a, or, or, de- or the death of the family or right, right. Cra- crazy some things happen. Thing, right. So like an opening opens up right away. But um, but it's it's unusual. Um, Which means that, you know, we believe that a professional company should have backlog. Backlog creates stability. For any construction company, backlog creates stability, and every company wants to have that, right? right. So if so if you don't have backlog, why is that? Right. Um, and, well, uh, it also affects your employees, right? You think about absolutely. it. You have all these people working for you. They want to know that where they're going to be next week, next month, you know, in a couple months, so that they, right. they have families to feed, right? right? So this is important stuff. And, and so you, by the way, you know, and this is a personal choice, but al- along that line, um, you want a company that has some backlog. What What's too much backlog? What's not enough backlog? That's a hard thing to say, right? It's uh, mostly up to you at that yeah. point. But right? I, mean, I know, you know... If they can't get to you for a year, well, then you you can spend a year designing and getting all your all your information decided. Right. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, unless it's a bad thing for you. Right, but I do appreciate the fact that today we live in an instant gratification society, yep. right? And that's a bit of a challenge, and I, I completely get that. Um, but what we find is that people can tolerate, not happily, but necessarily tolerate maybe six months. Mm-hmm. But when you get out past six months, people start saying, yeah, you know, I'll find somebody else. And right. that's fine. Right. And I totally get that. Um, but uh, but do think about that as you're talking to companies. And don't, I, I would not push a company aside because they can't start in three weeks. And, and, and we routinely right. have clients call up saying, I need to, like today, we're, you know, we're 2019, we're in... Uh, the middle of November in 2019, mm-hmm. um, you know, we will have, it would not be unheard of to have a client say, I need to have my kitchen done before December or right. before, before, before Christmas. Before Christmas, right. right. And, and thinking that that's a viable thing. Right. And I don't know, maybe for somebody it is, it's not for us. Right. Right. Um, and, and it, by the way, shouldn't be for them too, because, because every project needs a certain time to ramp up. So if you're going to have well, a successful cabinet project. Cabinet lead time alone. You're cabinet, saying, you know, yeah, cabinet lead time. Even semi-custom lines are like four, five, six week right. lead times. But planning the project, permitting the project, getting things, getting sub-scheduled, all that kind of stuff takes time. Right. And backlog allows for that, mm-hmm. right? And lead time allows for those, allows for a smooth ramp up to the project, which allows for the first day of construction to go better. Right. Right. So anyway. Right. Exactly. So that's a lot about backlog, but it's yeah. important. That's okay. So, and then, you know, what, for instance, what you could expect in a proposal, right? right? What What is going to be included with um, that information? What should I be looking for? Right. More, and, more is typically better. Yeah, so more detail, more information. And, you know, so I, I think of the proposal as, so back when I first started in business, I worked with my hands. So I was, I was swinging a hammer, and my craftsmanship was what I could actually build with my hands. So when I was finished with the day and a client came home and they could see the cabinets installed or the crown molding put up or whatever it might be, they got a visual representation of how good I was. Right. right? When I transitioned into doing more of the business side of the business, um, my craftsmanship changed to saying, okay, now I'm going to build, I'm going to craft the best proposal I can. Right. right. The one that is cleanest looking, the one that has the most information, the one that leaves the least amount of questions. So now that's craftsmanship for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I'm judging the candidates that come into my home based on uh, that level of craftsmanship. So that level of craftsmanship. So if, if somebody tears a piece of paper out of a spiral bound notebook right. and writes down a few bullet points of the scope with a price, how's that make you feel versus right. 
someone who has taken the time to generate detailed specifications with pricing and start dates and finish dates right. and payment schedules and all that. And actually, um, you know, if they're coming in and, and you're in that interview process, it's almost like most companies, most good companies, will have a portfolio. So part of, part of that portfolio should be not only just pictures of projects that you've done and maybe some referral letters from clients, but should be an example of what a typical contract looks like, an example right. of what a typical um, spec sheet looks like, you know, right. so that so that you can have some kind of understanding of an expectation for, for right. what's coming later. So ask for those things. Right, and I think what you don't want is if you say to a if you say to somebody that you're interviewing, um, so tell me what what a proposal of yours looks like. You don't want that person to then say, well, tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Every company you should be working with, they should there should be process in mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. and process means it's predictable, it's repeatable, um, and they they do it their way. Mm-hmm. They they do it X Y Z company's way, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if the question is turned back around to you and say, "Well, I can give it to you any way you want," well, they don't have a process. Right. They don't have a system, and that means that every time they're doing a project, they're reinventing it. Right. Which takes time, energy, and and, and it focus. Leads to, it leads to misunderstandings, miscommunications, right. and mistakes. Right. If all it, those misses. Exactly. So, so if every time you do a project, you go through the process the exact same way, what are the, the odds are much lower that you're going to be screwing right. things up. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, so the quality of proposal is a big deal. Big deal. Um, and then you know how how are these projects run? Right. How you know is it is it your own employees is it subcontractors is it a combination of the two who's right. who am I going to be talking with every day and and there's neither a right nor wrong there I think um, there are plenty of great companies in the marketplace who subcontract everything virtually everything they mm-hmm. they tip, those folks typically have project managers on site mm-hmm. uh, or on hand um, but most of the trades are subs. And and like I said, plenty of great companies that do it that way, and that's fine. It takes a different style of running a project. Let's let's take a break and just uh, do do an aside on this. What what defines you know a subcontractor versus um, great yeah their own so, employee? So um, you know a W two employee a W two is a tax form essentially that people fill out. They are employees that are directly working for and exclusively working for a given company mm-hmm. and the, the that company then controls things like when they start when they finish where they go what they do they can instruct them they can guide them they can provide them with with more direct input right. they are advocates and employees of that company directly mm-hmm. versus a subcontractor who typically is going to be working for a fixed price and let's say you bring out a framing subcontractor and the the framing subcontractor scope of work is to build a weathertight shell Right, your addition that you're building is a weathertight shell. So they have a limited scope of work. They're going to do that scope of work for a specific amount of money, um, and they're going to start when you know generally when they agree and finish generally when they agree. But you can't specify a lot of you can't control them nearly as much as you can control an employee. An employee, right? right. And, and I mean, there there's some we work with a lot of subcontractors, and we give them enough work that they generally you know show up when we yes. ask them to and yes. finish up when we ask them through and, and that kind of thing. But in general, subcontractors they just have a lot more freedom. Yeah, and it's also not their job. It's the sub. It's not the subcontractor's job to spend you know a bunch of time talking to the homeowner and a bunch of time holding their hands and, and doing things. That, that's right. not their their job is to get in, build it, move on to the next project, and build it right. right? Um, whereas you know in that model, you're typically going to have a project manager who is going to be the liaison between the work and the company and the client, right? right? And and would help with that, right? Right. Um, and so and, and none of these, and like we said, none of these is necessarily better than the other, but 
you want to make sure that you understand who who is my go-to person, who am I going to be right. able to ask questions of, who is responsible to me right. like, um, in this process. And if we think about the new construction model, uh, almost all new construction is 100% sub-driven. Right. Right? Very, very, very rarely um, are, especially anybody that builds a volume of houses, um, will they actually have in-house carpenters. Right. right? Um, and so... That is because it's a more efficient, cleaner, faster process with less overhead. Um, However, in our world, we personally have a little bit of a bias. We believe that if we're doing remodeling work, we can can do it best with our own employees, right? Mm -hmm. That's not exclusively, right? We we certainly do subcontract out large parts of the work, Mm -hmm. right? Especially what we consider the licensed trades, electrical, plumbing, things of that nature, gas fitting, uh, so that kind of stuff. Um, But... But for the carpentry, we believe we can do a better job when we have carpenters that are our people on site, in house. Right. Right. And uh, and so you know I think that makes uh, that it doesn't really it matters to the extent that you need to think about what kind of experience you want, mm-hmm. and it matters to the extent that the companies that you're talking to have good systems and processes in place, whether they're subbed or self-performed. Right. Self-performed meeting you, your, your own employees, right? right? Uh, but it does create a difference, I think, in most cases to the experience that you could expect. You know, I know in, in our company, we routinely hear clients' feedback about the fact they kind of bonded and connected right. with, the, with the carpenters on the job, mm-hmm. right? So, and there are guys, and there are guys that have been trained to try to be good guests in the home and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so that's important as well, right, in, in, in terms of what you're looking for. And so how do they perform the work? And, and you know, do they think about things like schedule, and do we manage to a schedule and all that kind of stuff? And what's a schedule right. look like, right? right? So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see what is it, what else is on our our thing. Um, how do you cha- how do you do change orders? Right. That's right. A, that's a big one. Yeah. So so, so a, what is a change order? First yeah, of all, great question. So a change order is definitely when when a project has a change in scope, either an increase or a decrease. And change orders can take a few different forms. Uh, change orders can just be. Uh, purely for clarifying a change in scope and, and, and doesn't have a financial impact, right? right? And maybe it's that we came across something that required us to execute the project in a different way, mm-hmm. and we want to be really clear. So we stop, we write a change order, and say, okay, instead of doing it this way, we're doing it this way. No no financial impact, but we want you to make sure you understand, right? Mm-hmm. And so the client signs off on that, we sign off on that, it's good, mm-hmm. right? And then a change a change order might exist, and th- for different companies call them different things. They could be change orders, they could be additional work authorizations, they could be a lot of different things. But um, another alternative might be that uh, we came across something truly hidden and unforeseen. Right. right? So we, we initially gave a fixed price contract, and we said we're going to do this project this way for this money. Um, but in tearing the walls apart, we found that uh, the area by the sink, there'd been a slow leak for years, it made the wood vulnerable, and then there was in- insect infestation, and now there's termites, right? right? Something we could not have necessarily seen, seen at the, the time, outside, right. Right? which, by the way, that's really, really important. Um, you want to be having a contractor who drills into the specifics of your project and understands how your house is put together so that there are very few surprises. Mm-hmm. And in our world, there are very few. If we're working in an old farmhouse, like an 1800s farmhouse, Maybe there's a more a couple more surprises, things we didn't expect, right. right? And so we tell clients that in advance and say, make sure you leave a little extra in your budget for the things that that come up that we don't expect, right? And we can't always control for those things, but it's a good idea to think that way, right? right? Um, and but, then there's then there's the fun change orders, which is right. the which is the you know what? While you're here, 
really, really love to do this this extra little thing that's been bugging me for years. Exactly. Or you know, could you know, I really I ordered this tile, but you know, I, I yesterday I was out and I saw this other tile and I want to change it. So right. So those are client driven change orders, right. and client driven change orders can, uh, you know, and maybe you say, I tell you what, what I'd like to do. I know we were going to replace the garage doors, um, but I'm so excited about what's going on in the kitchen. Let's make some changes. It's going to cost a little more money, and I'll credit. I'll take the garage doors out for now. So mm-hmm. I'll credit those and increase the scope of the kitchen. So there's lots of different ways it can happen, but the bottom line is this change order is um, is an integral part of the process. Um, and in a perfect in a perfect world, we don't have change orders, right? We I think many homeowners operate under the misimpression that contractors love change orders because that's where they make all their money, yeah, right? No. And, and, and and that's not the case actually. Change orders just cause problems in many cases. Right. The more that we have, the harder it is to schedule for, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it up it you know interrupts the flow of work and so forth. Uh, so if we never had a change order, we'd be happy with that, right? right. But but that's not the way the world yeah, works. No, it, it, right? There's always at least a couple, and usually they're client driven, right? And, and that's fine. Yeah, and and but in a perfect world, we're trying to capture as much scope of the project upfront as possible, and right. say, tell us everything you want to do. We're going to put all of that in the contract, mm-hmm. and and. That way, you don't start the project at one price and finish it at another, and then think, "Whoa, how the hell did we get here?" Right. That's a bad thing. Yeah. Right. We, we don't, don't want that. Right. And that's 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 the kind of thing, by the way, big picture that you're looking for. You're looking for companies as you're doing this interviewing process. You're looking for companies who are not going to leave you with surprises, mm-hmm. right? And and who are not going to make you feel like you started the project at one number and you finished it at another number and you didn't have control over it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of it. So what else do we want to screen for? And talk Insurance. About? Yeah, so insurance is a big deal. Um, and in fact, insurance is a big enough deal that we're actually going to make a separate show out of that. Okay. We, we have an insurance How agent. How exciting. I know. We have an insurance agent that we're going to. A gonna, whole show about insurance. Yep. Jamie Santo is going to be coming in who uh, we've been working with on insurance. And uh, he's and, and you, you joke a little bit about it, yeah. but I'll tell you what. I, I know it's important. I hate insurance until I need it. Yeah, right? exactly. And uh and, and it's the kind of thing that, that we don't want to uh, to kind of right. okay. uh, so gloss let's, over. Let's, let's, well, let's gloss over it now and talk yeah. a little bit about um, warranty. Yeah. So warranty is a good, a good question as well. And I think that's another uh, a criteria that we're going to cut for. Um, and so warranty is required to be a one-year warranty, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's kind of... Uh, In mass. Um, In New Hampshire, I, too? Yeah. I, I'm not sure that's... Not, truthfully, I, that's something we should probably go up. I'm not sure that's not a federal requirement for workmanship. Hmm. Um, but uh, but in our two markets, it's a one-year warranty, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then each company makes a choice to say, all right, do I want to do the minimum and just provide that with the, what the, the law requires of me? Or do I believe that I build well enough and do well and do good enough work that right, I can provide, provide more longer. comfort, right? right? And that's a case by case basis. And I, you know, I would not slight a company who doesn't provide a longer warranty. I would just want to understand how they view warranty and how right. and how and more than that, how they respond to it. Because when you do have a glitch or a problem, and how well they do to clarify it, like what is warrantable and what's not warrantable, mm-hmm. right? Great example. Um, all concrete cracks. Mm-hmm. If we pour any slab or any foundation wall or anything like that. Somewhere in there, at some point in time, it's going to crack. That is the nature of concrete. Right. So I want a company who's going to tell me that in writing, so that when it does crack, I'm not bu- I'm not upset about it. Right. Or, or when it does crack, and they say, "Yeah, concrete cracks. We're not going to fix that." Right. Because there really isn't any fixing it. It's not. It's going to crack again. Right. Exactly. Um, that you've done a good job at clarifying expectations, expectations. about what warranties are reasonable, and what warranties aren't reasonable. Mm-hmm. Right. And and even that's true of standards as well. You want a company who has some standards, like mm-hmm. what what is reasonable, what's not reasonable. We do a lot of wood floors, Mm -hmm. right? Um, A a site-finished wood floor 
the standard for us is in a conventionally lit room from a standing position that the floor has an acceptable appearance, mm -hmm. right? That is not the same as being on your hands and knees right. with a 1,000-watt with with halogen, halogen bulb, bulb right? right. right. <laughs> and, and saying, hey, I see a little swirl mark here. Hey, I see a little dust in the finish here. I hit. No, that's not the standard. Right. We're finishing your floor in your home, mm -hmm. and there's different standards, right? right. So. That all just speaks to making sure that there's clarity in expectation for how things go with the clients. Right. Um, so, so I tell you what, we're going to pick up on. Uh, so I think we've probably filled uh, a, a bunch of time here, and the company selection process is important and so forth. We're going to pick this up in another show where we're going to jump into vetting references and uh, and some of the other tools that we can offer you to uh, to make sure that you end up with the right service providers. And uh, that's a foundation to the best experience, right? Yep. So um, so thank you again for being with us. And we hope that we're giving you value. And we hope that you're finding uh, the chance to set yourself up for a good experience in your remodeling project. I am David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. And you have been listening to Renovation Made Right. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, renovationmaderight.com. And follow us on social media at Renovation Made Right. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review.